My name is Kerry. And now if you'd like to imagine uh, some soft intro music, that'll help. And I'm going to call this From the Hip or something close to it. I'm recording tonight at 6.01 p.m. Monday, February 1st, 2021. Because I don't want to take the time to write the things that need to be written. I'm good at writing, or at least that's what people tell me when they read my writing, but they don't all know that it takes me several hours usually to write something that they read in less than 20 minutes. It's it's kind of difficult to make sure that all your thoughts are orderly and coherent on a page, um, whereas the written word or the spoken word gives one some flexibility, uh, especially in in time. The fact of the matter is, I'm also recording because I'm in a little bit of a hurry. I think that there's a very serious situation developing at the moment, and. I'm not sure how I will convince you to listen to this, but um, if you would, and if you would take an interest, and you would take a measure of care in your own life, I think that we would all benefit greatly. I'm not ready to prescribe what that is. And the other issue that I have is that I think before I can truly get um, to just to the simple topic, the simple um, nuts and bolts of a topic that's before us, it's in our awareness, I think that I need to address a topic that is more about our awareness rather than uh, about um, things that we're aware of. So my thoughts um, leading towards a beginning have led me back in time in my life. And so I'm going to start um, with a point in in my life uh, around a year and a half or so ago, I think it was, and work forward in time a little bit to talk and then hopefully start a second episode about the, the topic at hand. And I'm going to leave that a bit of a mystery. Hopefully you will follow in, or actually I'll just title the second episode appropriately. But the the story that I first want to share is that about a um, year and a half ago, as I mentioned, I was um, having a, you know I was at a tough point at the end of a relationship, and and a thought occurred to me that really simplified an issue that we all should be looking at as we pursue relationships, as we um, pursue meaningful relationships, and as we try to um, mend them or struggle through them or, or decide whether or not we should continue them, I... I want to I want to share this idea, this conclusion that I came to at the time, and and I think that I vocalized it back then in the words, issues of fact should not come between p- 
people who care about one another, you know, who claim to care about one another. That's a really, maybe that comes as a surprise that I find that an important thing to, to tell you, but I was at a point in my life where a disagreement about the facts of this earth ultimately led to uh, a parting of ways, and I I found that entirely unacceptable. Um, first of all, I, you know I bend over backwards personally to pursue the truth, but I I've also bent over backwards for people in my life, and the experience that I had at the time was was difficult to deal with, but I couldn't I couldn't shake away from that conclusion that that if people um, care about one another, then that excludes them uh, from having a disagreement about a fact. And I want to I want to make um, um, give some shape to to that language. So when I say fact, I'm 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 talking about a something as real as a rock. So if you and I were standing in the same room. And you saw a, and I mean by room I mean in a house. You picture the room however you like in the house. But you saw a, a piece of a single piece of limestone gravel, a, a rock, on the floor in the middle of the room. I think that you would want me to agree with you that there was indeed a rock in the middle of the floor. It would be a bit of a problem if I didn't. I really think it would. You you might brush it off that I said there was no rock, but until you've been in that situation, I'm not sure that you would. You know, don't don't um, don't go jumping to the conclusion that you would uh, be comfortable with me not acknowledging the rock's existence. So that's what I mean um, from the, from the most minute example. And so it's very important that not only that we, that if we say that we care about one another, that we actually mean it, um, but it's important that we understand what that means. How do we mean it? Well, you know, an important instantiation of it is that you don't let a disagreement about facts get in the way of your relationship. Uh, I'm not going to go into too far in you know, into a more discussion about what examples might arise that, but, you know, if it, if it really, if it really comes down to it, if you really cannot agree on a matter of a fact, um, there, there's a, probably a more dire situation going on than the maintenance of your relationship. That's all I'm going to say about that. But, but we have to move on from there. And the next thing that comes to mind is just that over the weekend, I watched a documentary about Thomas Sowell. Uh, I would describe him primarily as an economist, but I think in some sense he was a philosopher. And uh, he also wrote a book about late-talking children. Uh, and he... Uh, it appears to have been one of the, the smartest people 
um, in the field of econ- economics. Um, you know, he, he wrote a periodical, um, an opinion article um, for syndication for many, many years up until recently. So, very smart man, and I did not realize just how smart, just how quick, just how eloquent he was when I was familiarizing myself um, with his debates and so forth years ago. Anyway, I watched this documentary about him over the weekend, and I found it incredible. Uh, if you if you search for it on YouTube, you'll probably find it. And so my thoughts lead to Thomas Sowell in this documentary because they discuss the the points in his life at which he held one political position and, and it's very clear to him why he adopted it and the point at which he turned sharply away from that position. And I'm going to talk about that. And I want to talk about how before we were exposed to that story in the documentary, the, the, um, the documentary let us know that data, data was the most important thing to Thomas Sowell. And I don't think that he meant that in the way that we typically are speaking about data now. Um, you know, we, we speak about data now as, as a very cold thing. And I think that we also speak about data as if, um, I don't, I'm, I'm not going to, I don't have a clear thought to, to elaborate there. So, so Thomas Sowell describes that he became a Marxist roughly at the moment that he first saw um, tenement housing. Uh, in his teens years, I believe, um, he, he came from uh, a, a nice family um, that was fairly well off and was able to put him through good schools in, 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 or good school in Harlem as a child. And, and so he went on to have a career, but he wasn't, he wasn't exposed to that tenement housing early in life. I don't know where they lived, but once he saw the people in the squalor of the slums of, of Harlem, or, or maybe it was a different town even, but he, he became a Marxist roughly at that moment. Um, I think, or, or, or that shortly thereafter, you know, per- perhaps the uh, philosophy came before his eyes, and he, you know, because of his initiation to the slums, um, found a match there. Thomas Sowell went off to um, secondary education, or, you know, I mean college, and, and eventually, um, you know, still as a, as a fervent Marxist, he met Milton Friedman one day. Now, Milton Friedman is not the ultimate um, proponent of free market capitalism that I would direct you toward, but... He was a formidable intellectual opponent in the debate. And so the two of them met, and I forget the exact context, but they, 
you know, it would have amounted to Sol being exposed to Milton's speech probably for a couple of hours. And Sol left that meeting um, undivided. He was still firmly a Marxist at that point. And he remained a Marxist until he ran into a different data set. You see, when he met Milton Friedman, and this isn't explained, this isn't mentioned in the documentary, but when he met Milton Friedman, that was just a discussion. You see, then he interned in the Department of Labor one summer, and that was data. And near instantly, I would take it, Thomas Sowell dropped Marxism. Um, you know, he he had an interaction with the facts of life on Earth, and and dropped Marxism. And I think that's really really important to uh, a great point to start off at. I I don't I didn't want this to be political. Um, so if you're a Marxist, you know, please bear with me. The, my point in sharing this story is that we have so many data before us. Now, there are questions about whether data, the data is real, you know, if you're looking at it, um, you know, if you're looking at data as a news story printed by any entity whatsoever, you know, is that data real? What do we mean when we say, is that data real? You know, and what we mean is, is it a reflection of stuff that's really real, like rocks and human bones and sound waves? And sometimes the meaning of the text on the page is not that real. So I think that it's it's very important that one we consider what data what what data are we really interacting with pull back a bit from the data streams that we're connected to every day and and, and start you know evaluating which forms of data gathering might be most reliable might reevaluate which those are and maybe another way of looking at that is rather than reliable or in conjunction with reliability would be how useful are they you see i have spent um 10 years or more more or less online or i should say i've spent much of the last 10 years online um, the data that I have interacted with, well, pardon me, many people have interacted with the data that I have, but um, it's interesting. We, we do have different views about what the data is, and, and even if we can agree on what the data is, we can't always agree on the meaning. And I think that that's the part where people have to make concessions. I said that people who care about one another shouldn't let matters, questions of fact, get between them. Um, at the level of questions about meaning, 
um, it's much harder to make that commitment and probably much less essential. But that uh, I'm going to leave for another time. So what I would like for you to note is that whether we're asking questions, you know, most of the times in which we're asking questions about what is real, well, I don't know about most, but many of the times that we're asking that question, it has to do with interpersonal mediation between the matters at hand and our firsthand experience. I have never been to Niagara Falls. I've never been you know, to China. I, I only take other person's accounts of them. Likewise, I've never been to the past um, uh, beyond the span of my lifetime, right? So I only, you know, can, can grapple with the, what, what should be the most reliable accounts of those or what makes the most sense as we put series of events over time into an order, or we attempt to, you know, we can ask questions about, well, if, if this happened at A time and this happened at C time, you know, why does, you know, why does the account of B um, that's supposed to connect the two not fit very well, right? So um, we, we might ultimately have reason to doubt some accounts of certain events. And again, it, it's the mediation between other people that, that has quite a lot to do with our sense of what's real. Now, you know, there's, there's all other questions to be asked about uh, what's what's metaphysically real, but it's the mediation part that I want to draw in on. You see, not only do we ask ourselves questions about what's real, we ask ourselves questions about whether our thoughts make sense. And so, not only do we rely on other people for information, and that is accounts of reality, we rely on them through conversation to check on our sense of reality. And in Jordan Peterson's concise words, we outsource our sanity to other people. We say things out loud to other people, often for the first time that we say them in a sentence at all, whether it would be out loud to ourselves or inside of our own minds, uh, you, you know, usually inside your own mind, you haven't formulated a whole sentence. Or at least, that's my suspicion. Or for me, it's rarely the case that I would have a complete, full thought um, before speaking it out. And it's not that I can't, but it's just that I choose to go the easier route of speaking my thoughts aloud as they come to me uh, quite often. So we, we outsource our sanity to other people. And 
you know, the question is, if we outsource our sanity, which was largely reliant on information, and we, and we outsource a lot of information to other people, it really matters. It matters. Um, matter is, I think it's from the Latin or Greek root, mater, as in mother. So I hope you enjoyed that uh, little thought there. What does it matter? So what I would like for you to note is that whether we're asking questions, you know, most of the times in which we're asking questions about what is real, well, I don't know about most, but many of the times that we're asking that question, it has to do with interpersonal mediation between the matters at hand and our firsthand experience. I have never been to Niagara Falls. I've never been you know, to China. I, I only take other person's accounts of them. Likewise, I've never been to the past um, uh, beyond the span of my lifetime, right? So I only, you know, can, can grapple with the, what, what should be the most reliable accounts of those or what makes the most sense as we put series of events over time into an order, or we attempt to, you know, we can ask questions about, well, if, if this happened at A time and this happened at C time, you know, why does, you know, why does the account of B um, that's supposed to connect the two not fit very well, right? So um, we, we might ultimately have reason to doubt some accounts of certain events. And again, it, it's the mediation between other people that, that has quite a lot to do with our sense of what's real. Now, you know, there's, there's all other questions to be asked about uh, what's what's metaphysically real. But it's the mediation part that I want to draw in on. You see, not only do we ask ourselves questions about what's real, we ask ourselves questions about whether our thoughts make sense. And so not only do we rely on other people for information... And that is accounts of reality, we rely on them through conversation to check on our sense of reality. And in Jordan Peterson's concise words, we outsource our sanity to other people. We say things out loud to other people, often for the first time that we say them in a sentence at all, whether it would be out loud to ourselves or inside of our own minds, uh, you you know usually inside your own mind you haven't formulated a whole sentence, or at least that's my suspicion. Or for me, it's rarely the case that I would have a complete full thought um, before speaking it out, and it's not that I can't. 
but it's just that I choose to go the easier route of speaking my thoughts aloud as they come to me uh, quite often. So we, we outsource our sanity to other people. And, you know, the question is, if we outsource our sanity, which was largely reliant on information, and we, and we outsource a lot of information to other people, it really matters. It matters. Um, matter is, I think it's from the Latin or Greek root, mater, as in mother. So, I hope you enjoyed that uh, little thought there. What does it matter uh, that we get our information and we outsource our sanity to other people? Well, it really matters whether or not those people have our interest in mind. And maybe it matters if their interest is somehow aligned with ours. Um, and preferably in ways that we don't have to go about trying to convince them to align their interest. For the sake of time, hopefully I won't go into the many examples. But it circles back around to my original point that people who care about one another, or maybe I should say at first people who claim to care about one another, should understand that for that to have meaning, for their care to have care as in, in, in action, they must execute. So people who care about one another cannot let facts, questions of facts, get in the way of a relationship. It's, it's a lose-lose-lose uh, for, for us in the present and, and for those to come. Because in so many scenarios of life, what we, what we do echoes and uh, ripples out across time and humanity. Um, that we get our information and we outsource our sanity to other people. Well, it really matters whether or not those people have our interest in mind. And maybe it matters if their interest is somehow aligned with ours. Um, and preferably in ways that we don't have to go about trying to convince them to align their interest. For the sake of time, hopefully I won't go into the many examples. But it circles back around to my original point that people who care about one another or maybe I should say at first people who claim to care about one another should understand that for that to have meaning, for their care to have care as in, in, in action, they must execute. So people who care about one another cannot let facts, questions of facts, get in the way of a relationship. It's... It's a lose-lose-lose uh, for, 
for us in the present and, and for those to come. Because in so many scenarios of life, what we, what we do echoes and uh, ripples out across time and humanity. So the question is, to whom are you outsourcing your sanity? If you rely solely on information about important subjects, and remember, you know, I'll go back to Peterson, what, what I would say, what is important, and, 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 you know, the question would be, well, definitely threats to your existence. Peterson said in, in a landmark speech that he gave, uh, threats to your existence are the most real things. Well, and if you would reflect on where you get quite a lot of your information that you consider to be most important, I think that you will find that answer to be the TV uh, or a particular uh, news source, website, etc. And and the question that I would then ask is, does that important information also happen to relate to threats to your existence? And I think that a great number of you would reply, well, yes, it does. It For 20 years, it's been constant stories about uh, a group of people who behead and uh, suicide bomb innocent people quite a bit of the time. And you would say, well, yeah, you know, it has to do with Russian hackers and it has to do with Republicans or it has to do with Democrats or um, any number of such things. These are all threats to our existence and they become really real things. And for almost everyone, these are matters which are intermediated for us. We don't have any first-hand account, or at least uh, much of any first-hand account of these matters. Mater. So, what I would say is that we are outsend we are outsourcing much of our sanity you know if our sanity relies is is re, is about adhering to reality and we get reality from somewhere um, outside of people that we know i suggest that we're outsourcing our sanity to uh, the wrong places so i that was a suggestion. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure that I'm correct in this. And rather than going on about the the, the statement or, or asking it some other question, I, I want to ask a question about the solution. You see, if you if you recognize that the data that we're most concerned with is originating, um, too far away from us, or it just comes from a source that we could not touch, how would we fix the problem? 
you see there's there's not really any way for us to be in Washington DC or New York or Baghdad or London every day and uh, you know even with even with uh, VR goggles and YouTube and, and so forth it's not really possible because we have to live our lives and even if we could VR you know one of those places we couldn't VR them all at once and of course there's questions about you know, can we trust that mediation? The 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 this it's it's that's not a uh, a route that has any solution, and I think that we come back to the question of or to the solution of well, we have to come back to people we can trust, uh, people whose interests are uh, aligned with ours. We have to start, I think ultimately that is the, the end of the objectives that would, would get us to a better place. But I'll, I'll suggest a route to that place, is that first you just stop. Stop TV. Stop print media. Stop social media. Uh, or at least pull far back from it. Uh, tell your friends that you're going to stop watch TV and, and that you're going to uh, cut down your social media time and invite them to join you face-to-face to have important discussions under the understanding that even if your discussions are difficult, you're going to agree to stay calm, stay nice, and try to actually have a conversation. Try to see if the two of you can move forward in understanding of the world around you. And actually, while I'm at it, I'm going to suggest that that this be done in groups of at least three. And I am going to reiterate that it should be done in person. And I'm going to emphasize that it should be done without a mask over your face. Quite frankly, whether or not you think that is useful to your health in protecting you at this present time, I think that what I'm suggesting is far more important for your health and that you look at each other's faces fully, that you're not hidden in any way, and especially that your mouth, the source of your voice, the source of your expressed thoughts on this earth is not hidden symbolically or otherwise get together have these conversations and see if you can you know if you must outsource your sanity if you can at least do it in a way that works for you because when you zoom out and you realize that so much of your life isn't touched by what you're missing when you're not watching TV, what you'll realize is that whatever's on TV shouldn't have any effect on you, shouldn't have a chance to affect you whether or not you're watching. Because what really matters is the people close to you, and no one else's decisions should have any effect on your life. And before I go, I'll circle that back around to Thomas Sowell and 
his explanation that we must go by the data. We must orient ourselves, our, 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 our concepts and our principles, our opinions and our actions. We must orient them toward the facts. This is, this is all the, that, that many of us are pleading for, but not in these words. You know, we have the in, in, people uh, vying for the environment to be, you know, our, our natural earth, that is, our habitat to be treated better, cared for, and thought about in, in, as something that can perish. And we shouldn't, we shouldn't come to a disagree, you know, we should be able to find an agreement on this um, example and, but that, more importantly, that it can fall apart. You know, um, there are things that don't work in, in, the, in the question of how can we have a, a, a natural environment that's not degrading. And that if, you know, well, we, we can answer that. We can, we can come up with very good answers to that. But we, we have to be able to recognize that this, this natural environment can degrade. It can fall apart into a place that is uninhabitable as well. And, and, and that we must strive that in, that, in that direction of how can we regenerate Earth and, and so on. It has to do with alignments of the facts alignment with the facts, observing the facts, curating our understanding of the facts. And it's okay to be imperfect in that quest, but it's a quest that you must take up. And my, my suggestion here is that, is that you take up that task swiftly and engage with people um, in a committed and meaningful and friendly and loving fashion. Thank you.